Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 679 for the 7th of February, 2020. This week, blue light is beneficial, but it can also cause problems. Computer screens, televisions, tablets, and smartphones all emit a lot of blue light, and the result might be insomnia and other health issues. In short circuits, Microsoft's new Chromium-based Edge browser continues to evolve, and it offers some advantages compared to Chrome and Firefox, maybe even enough to attract users. It's beginning to look a lot like entropy will win on the internet, and the term splinternet has gained a following. In spare parts, only on the website, the National PTA tries to identify ways to help families make the best of online resources. Older adults are increasingly adopting smartphones and computers, but are less receptive to wearable devices and tablets. And 20 years ago, digital cameras were about to reach the magic 1 megapixel level for the unheard of low price of just $1,000. It's common knowledge that blue light emissions from computers, tablets, and phones can cause sleep-related problems. And the problems may be more severe than just a bit of sleep deprivation, though. Your computer, phone, or tablet screen appears to produce full-color images, but you've doubtless seen a blue glow if you've ever walked by a house at night when a television is turned on in a room with a window that faces the street. Modern operating systems even have night modes that reduce the amount of blue light screens emit. When this mode is turned on initially, the screen may appear to be amber. Within a few moments, though, our eyes adjust to the change and the colors go back to looking normal. The color of light is measured in degrees Kelvin. Daylight is in the 5,000 to 6,000 degree range, which is blue. That differs from incandescent light bulbs we've used in our homes for more than a century. Those bulbs emit light around 3,000 degrees Kelvin, which is yellow. We humans had candles and lanterns before electric lights became widespread, but we were active primarily during daylight hours. So it turns out that continued exposure to blue light might be harmful. Another way to describe light uses the wavelength of the light, the wavelength of ultraviolet light is lower than about 375 nanometers. Visible blue light starts around 375 nanometers, and the full visible spectrum ends with red, around 700 nanometers. Infrared light starts there. Visible light occupies a tiny slice of the wavelength spectrum with gamma rays, X-rays, and ultraviolet at the lower end, and infrared, radar, television, FM radio, and AM radio on the higher end. Check out the illustration on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Lower wavelengths have more power, according to the Prevent Blindness website that explains blue light has benefits and dangers. Blue light boosts alertness and helps to regulate our circadian rhythm. Lack of exposure to blue light might be a factor in the development of nearsightedness. 
Some researchers, though, suggest that overexposure to blue light might elevate blood pressure, worsen cardiovascular disease, encourage weight gain, cause metabolic problems, increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, cause emotional distress, mood disorders, and memory problems, reduce academic performance, and increase risk-taking behavior. Yikes! All About Vision describes the inverse relationship between the wavelength of light rays and the amount of energy they contain. Light rays that have relatively long wavelengths contain less energy. Those with short wavelengths have more energy. Today's computer screens are much safer than the old cathode ray tubes that were common with early personal computers. The CRT screens emitted a lot of ultraviolet light, and that led to eye strain. Ultraviolet coatings on glasses reduced the problem, but flat panel monitors are easier on our eyes. Ultraviolet light has more energy than visible light. This gives UV light the ability to produce changes in the skin to create a suntan. Too much exposure to UV will create a sunburn and can lead to skin cancer. Too much UV can create vision problems too, but the body does need a certain amount of UV because it helps the body manufacture vitamin D. Blue light is still a problem though, and it's everywhere. Prevent Blindness says excess exposure to blue light can cause digital eye strain that can be worsened by fatigue, dry eye syndrome, and poor lighting. Symptoms include sore eyes and difficulty focusing. Studies also suggest that long-term exposure to blue light can affect retinal cells and lead to problems like age-related macular degeneration. In addition to blue light from the sun, blue is a large component of light from televisions, computer screens, and LED lights. The human eye is effective in blocking most UV light, but most blue light gets through. And All About Vision also discusses the dangers. The fact that blue light penetrates all the way to the retina is important. That's because laboratory studies have shown that too much exposure to blue light can damage light-sensitive cells in the retina. This causes changes that resemble those of macular degeneration, which can lead to permanent vision loss. So if blue light is so bad, why not just eliminate it? Well, as I said, some blue light is needed, and a lack of blue light can cause what's called seasonal affective disorder, or SAD. That's actually treated with special lights that emit a lot of blue light. Much of the problem seems to be too much blue light late in the day, and using a computer, tablet, or phone for extended periods at night can create sleep problems that lead to fatigue during the day. The Prevent Blindness website suggests five ways we can reduce exposure to blue light. First, decrease the time spent in front of screens or take frequent breaks to give your eyes a rest. Second, screen filters are available for smartphones, tablets, and computer screens to decrease the amount of blue light emitted. Third, computer glasses with yellow-tinted lenses that can block blue light can help ease the computer digital eye strain by increasing contrast. Fourth, anti-reflective lenses reduce glare and increase contrast and also block blue light from the sun and digital devices. And fifth, if you have cataract surgery, talk to your ophthalmologist about using an intraocular lens that can protect the eye and the retina from blue light. Or alternatively, ensure that eyeglasses you use when working with digital devices filter blue light. California has set the 10th of October as Blue Light Awareness Day with the goal of spreading the word about what people can do to reduce problems caused by blue light. 
People blink more slowly when using computer screens. So what? Well, that reduces the eye's natural lubricants, disrupts sleep patterns, suppresses production of melatonin, and might even cause headaches. A study for California says that people should turn off electronic devices two hours before bedtime. And off means off. No cheating to check tomorrow's weather for just a few seconds or check in with a friend on social media. If you enjoy reading before bed, use a book or a magazine instead of an e-reader. The research also suggests reducing the brightness of screens. Some computers can now sense a room's ambient light and adjust brightness themselves. If not, make the adjustment manually. Another recommendation is to watch videos on your television, not a computer monitor. That's because televisions emit less blue light and they're viewed from further away. And one recommendation from an earlier age still applies. It's called the 20-20-20 rule. For every 20 minutes of screen time, look away from the screen for at least 20 seconds and focus on something that's at least 20 feet away. So, excuse me now, I have to go look out the window. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, somebody commented the other day that Microsoft's new Chromium-based browser really had something going for it. He said he had switched from Chrome and had noticed virtually no difference. And the guy seemed to be excited by that, not damning Edge with a silly equivalence. Edge, after all, is based on Chromium, which is what Google uses for Chrome. So this is like saying that a Buick LaCrosse is a lot like a Chevy Malibu. Of course it is. They're built on the same platform with different features on top. That said, Microsoft Edge is far enough along that it is worth taking out for a test drive, and you can do that by visiting the Edge website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Edge does look a lot like Chrome, but Microsoft has piled some different features on top of the basic Chromium engine. Microsoft promises four important privacy features and links searches to Bing, Microsoft's search engine. You can switch that to Google, or if you take privacy really seriously, to DuckDuckGo. Microsoft says it will protect users from being tracked on the web. Trackers are used on websites to collect data about your browsing behavior. Edge is being positioned as a browser that detects and blocks those trackers. Another built-in protection is a connection to Microsoft's Defender Smart Screen. This feature attempts to protect users from phishing and websites that harbor malware. The feature is active by default, but if you feel lucky, you can disable it. As with other modern browsers, Edge's address bar provides search and site suggestions as the user types. This includes suggestions from favorites, browsing history, previous searches, and the default search provider. A privacy white paper describes how this feature can be turned off. 
The document also explains other security policies and settings for the browser. There's a link to that white paper on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Edge looks promising and will further cement Chromium as the primary browser engine on the web. That leaves Apple Safari and Mozilla Firefox as the only other significant browser engines. Combined, Firefox and Safari have only a quarter of the market. Chrome has more than 60% of the browser market. One shortcoming today is the number of extensions available for Edge. Approximately 500 Edge extensions are shown in the Microsoft Store. That compares to more than 188,000 on the Chrome Web Store. But that may not matter very much. An article on ZDNet notes that half of Chrome extensions have only 16 installations or fewer. Another 20,000 have no installations at all. And nearly 90% are installed on fewer than 1,000 computers. So a more realistic comparison might be 19,000 or so viable extensions on the Chrome Web Store compared to 500 in the Microsoft Store. That's still a big difference, but the top 500 will be the extensions used by most people. Microsoft does caution that an extension you consider essential might still be missing, but since the developers are working on certifying more, and they're working on it fairly quickly. A few months ago, only a few dozen extensions were listed in the Microsoft Store. So maybe it's time now to consider Microsoft Edge. Maybe we should rename the internet the entropy net. 30 years ago, many of us saw the internet as a way to bring people together. It hasn't exactly worked out that way, and it's not getting any better. Entropy is a value that's used to measure what's described by the second law of thermodynamics. And by the way, this is the first time, I think, the second law of thermodynamics has been mentioned on TechBiter Worldwide. Essentially, it describes the amount of energy that is not available to do work. It's also used to describe uncertainty or randomness. One of the better descriptions I've seen for entropy on Wikipedia puts it this way. A law of physics says that it takes work to make the entropy of an object or system smaller. Without work, entropy can never become smaller. You could say that everything slowly goes to disorder or higher entropy. Well, in real life, a country named Yugoslavia once existed. Then the Soviet Union ceased to exist, and the nations that were once part of the Soviet bloc became independent. Then entropy really set in. Today, the former Yugoslavia has split into Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia, and Slovenia. Wars and genocides followed. And the Internet today is an excellent example of everything going to disorder. That may cause you to think of political arguments, bots from Russia and elsewhere that attempt to create disorder in the now less United States, and restrictions imposed by the Great Firewall of China. It's actually worse than that. The Great Firewall of China might have been the first attempt to control Internet usage, but now the term splinternet is being used to describe what's happening to the Internet worldwide. Access is restricted in China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Yemen, among many others. Nations will have their own internets that will attempt to control what their citizens can see. 
Let's jump back a few decades. Radio Free Europe was founded in 1949 to beam radio signals into the Soviet bloc. With mixed success, the USSR attempted to interfere with those signals by broadcasting noise on the frequencies used by Radio Free Europe. It's likely that censorship on the Internet or Splinternet will be more effective than that. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, proclaimed by the United Nations General Assembly in Paris on the 10th of December 1948, states that people have the right to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas through any media regardless of frontiers. Well, the Internet did not exist back then. Now, as the Internet becomes more divided, disinformation campaigns are increasing as censorship systems become more entrenched, and reversing that trend is a lot less likely. There's no division, disinformation, or censorship in the spare parts section of TechBiter Worldwide, but you will have to visit the website. This week's stories include the National PTA tries to identify ways to help families make the best use of online resources, Older adults are increasingly adopting smartphones and computers, but are less receptive to wearable devices and tablets. And 20 years ago, digital cameras were about to reach the magic 1 megapixel level for the unheard of low price of just $1,000. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.